Welcome to XI, a podcast series from TableXI. I'm Noel Rappin, and today I'm talking to Ed LaFoy, TableXI's Director of Mobile Development. Ed, why don't you start by telling people about yourself and what the mobile practice at TableXI does? Like you said, I'm Ed LaFoy. I've been building iPhone apps for probably four or five years now. Um, I first came to TableXI in about 2012. I've done stints at a couple corporation places, a few other consultancies as well, but really found a home here. The mobile practice here, we do iOS work, Android work. We've done a couple of projects and some cross-platform solutions like React Native, dabbling in a little bit of hardware, but the company as a whole obviously does Rails work and design as well as UX and strategy. Cool. You've mostly done iOS and then switched to Android. Are you doing native Android or are you doing is the Android mostly through the cross-platform tools? Well, we've done a couple of projects with React Native as well as a couple of projects that are straight up Java and built on the standard Android libraries. I myself haven't done enough of the native Android stuff, although I did build a React Native project. I am significantly stronger in iOS than I am in Android. I think that, you know, I mostly do web development. I've never really done much mobile app development at all. And I think for a lot of web developers, there's a whole ecosystem of mobile apps and mobile app development that's just sort of opaque that we don't see. Like, how do you decide when to do a native project, when to do a cross-platform tool, when you might use Swift versus Objective-C or Java versus React Native? Like, what kinds of things go into that decision? A lot of it depends on the developer makeup. For us, we can kind of do it all. And so it really becomes like a question for the client. Like, do they want us to maintain the code base long term? Do they want to transition to their own team? If so, do they have a team now? Are they going to hire a team? If they have a team now, are they iOS? Are they like, are we adding to an existing internal team? Do they have a team of Rails developers only? For example, if they have a team of Rails developers and some of them are familiar with JavaScript, React Native might actually be a really good option. If they have a team of iOS developers or Android developers, that's a pretty obvious answer as well. If they plan on hiring in the future, currently React Native is so new that they might not be able to find anybody. So it might be a better option to go native. How hard is it to balance cross-platform native if you're doing a native iOS app and a native Android app? Is that just two completely separate code bases? Is there any way to share tooling? Yes and no. I I mean, you're tackling the same problem in just different platforms. So there's some kind of business logic wins that you kind of learn at the same time. So it's easier in some aspects, but it's not like you can share those things. You're going to find different tools that you want to use for each one. None of that stuff really carries over. So that leads to using something like React Native. I think maybe you should maybe describe what React Native is and and how it solves that cross-platform problem. Sure. For any of you that are familiar with React in general, it's kind of the same thing. React is a JavaScript library, JavaScript view, single page app library. Yeah. React Native is basically a tool set built on top of React that gives APIs into the native iOS and Android components. So you would build a standard React app, except for you'd be interfacing with things like a tab bar controller or things like a table view. And those essentially just are abstractions of the native components themselves. So you really are using and talking to real components without having to worry about the underlying implementation of them. Is there kind of a lowest common denominator problem where it becomes hard to use things that are unique to one platform or the other? That's kind of one of the main constraints. I remain a skeptic of cross-platform solutions just because I've been burned by them in the past. I will say that I have been very impressed with what I've seen in React Native as well. But yes, there is always that risk of, well, 
there's this one small control in iOS that doesn't exist in Android and it's not available to me. But what React Native does a good job of doing is getting out of your way if you want to do something custom. It allows you to like go in, grab a component you want to use, write a Java wrapper around it for an Android app, and then interface with that component using JavaScript. And it does the same thing for iOS. So it's nice in that regard. You'll never program yourself into a corner. I know that on the iOS side that TableXI was a really early adopter of Swift. How's that going? How's that gone? Do you wind up having to rewrite everything every time like Apple blinks or has it been pretty stable? <laughs> well, this is good timing considering Swift 3 came out recently. That was a gigantic change and one I would really appreciate not having to do again. Having said that though, it was a much needed change. A lot of redundancy and verboseness removed from the language, uh, especially UI kit. It makes a lot of naming conventions shorter and, you know, ultimately less code. But when you have a large code base like we do on everything but the house, it takes a significant amount of time to convert that stuff over. You started, though, in Objective-C. How does that switch go? Is, is Swift a lot easier? Is it Does it make certain things easier and certain things harder? Like, how has the ecosystem evolved? I am a huge Swift fan. It's a very powerful language. I like how type safe it is. There's some really modern kind of thinking that's gone into the language that makes it really nice to use. Things like protocol extensions really just make your life easier. What kinds of things does that help with? Uh, well, it helps with the way that you kind of think about the objects that you're going to create and how you can go about. For example, if you had two base classes uh, that you're going to use in UIKit and you wanted to write a set of extensions to work with both of them, and you know, there's no base class in Swift. So what you could do is write a protocol then write an extension for that protocol, and then extend those two classes with that protocol. And you just inherit those. So the protocol then gets the common behavior. Yes. And then the protocol is sort of what talks to the underlying framework? The protocol itself, I guess a, maybe a, a good way to explain it. Are you familiar with prototype in JavaScript? Yes. So you can write a prototype, right. you, know, you can extend it. That's what JavaScript used to use instead of classes, yeah. Right. Okay. So I obviously haven't done normal JavaScript in a long time, but yeah, that's kind of the same concept. Okay. I guess the, the, the thing that that sparked with me though, is like, I know that on the website, we are continually like trying to keep up with new tools and new things like that. On the iOS side, you have in some ways a more stable platform because you really only have, you have one primary vendor that you're dealing with, but that vendor also changes a lot. Like do we, have as a practice, like updating applications as a matter of course every year when Apple unveils the new hotness? Yes. That's kind of been a, a huge push from us uh, is kind of like, how do we update a customer's code base and have them expect that that's going to happen? And so it's somewhat difficult to do and, and difficult to frame, but it really comes down to like, hey, Apple moves quick on this. Swift has changed a lot more than Objective-C has in the past, you know, three or two years and it's been significant amounts of work on the Swift 3 side, not so much when we moved from 2 to 2.1, 2.2, stuff like that. So so what kinds of tools do you use to manage that? What kind of tools do you use to maintain your code quality or testing? What's the tool chain like there beyond just typing Swift into Xcode? There's a lot of parallels you can draw the Ruby environment. So your Ruby gems would be CocoaPods. Your bundler would be... Well, I guess your bundle would be CocoaPods. It's kind of the same thing. Is that is CocoaPods from Apple or is that a third-party tool to manage extensions? A third-party tool to manage third-party dependencies, basically. Okay. So 
it basically takes your Xcode project, creates a workspace from it, injects the dependencies that way. For dependency management, it's just CocoaPods. There's a bunch of de- other deployment gems and stuff like that, but they're not really dependencies. And what do you do for testing and continuous integration and things like that? Things that might automatically manage whether the code continues to work in the face of changes? We use a CI platform called BitRise. Uh, and BitRise, you know, allows you to lock an environment. So, you know, you can target Xcode 7.3 and not have to worry that, you know, a breaking change in 8.1 is going to kill it. Our deployment platform is called Fastlane. Mm-hmm. A lot of iOS developers are pretty familiar with it. Probably Android users as well. I think it really started off being a tool to make the Apple tools not a huge pain. The amount of work that had to go into to managing your provisioning profiles and your certificates and, you know, getting the devices updated and doing your beta deployment. And then, you know, that's not even when you go to push live and you have to update images and all this stuff. So there was just like so much effort that had to go into just pushing a production build or a beta build. And so Fastlane became this tool to automate that entire process in five minutes. And so it's really, really blown up to being this huge suite of like really useful tools. I mean, they have, so there's this uh, part of it called match. Uh, you used to have to, you know, everyone had a certificate and then those certificates had to be applied to the provisioning profile and the provisioning profile would have to be updated on CI. And when you made a change or edit a device, you had to re-upload it. And there's all this stuff that went into that. And Match kind of uses this, you know, you set up a, a Git repository. It pulls down one shared certificate, updates the provisioning profiles for you when a new device is added and keeps them all encrypted in this Git repository. So you don't really ever have to worry about that stuff. Does that make you more likely to do your own testing on the device rather than the simulator? Most of the stuff that we run is is done on the simulator. There are certain things that you won't get access to. You can fake a GPS location, for example, but you can't test it if you're going to go and do a walk or something like that. Well, I guess actually I take that back. You can. There's a highway drive simulation as well. Push notifications, I guess, would be one. If you wanted to test push notifications, you know, the simulator just straight up doesn't support it. So you'd have to test that on your device. But there's a surprising amount that you can do in the simulator. Yeah. Does it affect how you design the application, whether it's being run in the simulator? Like, are there things that you're surprised by the interaction once you get it on the real device after you test it in the simulator? Yes. Sometimes performance looks good, and then you run out of device and you find out that it's actually pretty poor. Uh, and that's because it's leveraging your laptop CPU. So there's stuff like that. Sometimes you'll be surprised by the fact that you're developing on a 5S size simulator and then you'll run it on your iPhone 6 and realize that you didn't quite pay attention to the UI as much as you thought you did. How hard is that then to design for devices that might potentially have you know, multiple different sizes that you know, even the Apple ecosystem has, what, five or six sizes now and the Android system has you know, a jillion? How much effort is that to keep up? Good question. You remember when there used to be like two phones? Yes. I remember when the Apple programmers would all say that one of the huge advantages of dealing in the Apple ecosystem for iOS was that you only had to deal with one device size. Yeah, they're not wrong. I mean, but that was five years ago, so. Right. It's definitely better. I'll take three, you know, or four sizes over 100 any day. But auto layout is pretty good for that kind of stuff. You know, we were longtime users of storyboards, which is a kind of GUI UI interface. Um, it's called Interface Builder. And storyboards are what you build in them. And you can think of it as literally laying out iPhone screens on a table. That's kind of what it looks like. And we were longtime users of those, but we've since actually ditched them. And we've found this library called SnapKit. It's an excellent little tool that it acts as a DSL on top of auto layout. And so auto layout is 
very verbose to write by hand, and this makes it pretty simple. It almost feels like cheating a little bit. <laughs> but auto auto layout makes it, you know, you set relative constraints to other elements uh, and to parent views and such, and you can do a pretty sensible layout that'll work on all devices without much hassle. Yeah, one of the great things, like as an iOS user, like you can particularly see it on the iPad when you go to split screen, and you really get a sense of which applications paid attention to their auto layout because then you see them like transition from their wide to their narrow layout right in front of you. Yep, it's pretty nice in that way. As long as you're not using, you know, static. If you think about the way you, the interface that you're building would look if it was humongous versus the way it would look if it was tiny, you can really kind of get an idea of what constraints you should set that are practical. So how closely do you work with the design team in order to create those kinds of layouts? Like what do our designers deliver to you and how do you guys turn that into you know working layouts? It really depends. I've worked with designers that haven't, you know, had a ton of experience building mobile apps. And so, you know, there's obviously a difference in terms of what you get. Fortunately for us, we have Yana and she's spent a tremendous amount of time working on mobile software design. And so she delivers things that I don't really have to even ask a question about. But typically you're looking for something that's going to scale well, something that's going to work on iPad if you can get it, uh, and something that's going to leverage components you know that are already built in and required a small amount of customization, most likely, but not things that you're going to have to build from scratch that are going to suck up a bunch of your time. In terms of like the, the actual code itself, I know that one of the things that Ruby developers get really excited about is, is being able to write automated tests. And I also know that sometimes that's hard in a JavaScript environment that's very heavily view-based or even in an iOS environment. What kinds of tools do you guys use for that? Yeah, so we kind of have a, an RSpec-inspired tool called Quick and Nimble. Nimble is the matcher library, and Quick is kind of the RSpec-style test framework. They're both built on top of XCTest, but they kind of make it not crappy to look at. Uh, and then the other tools that we use, we try to stay away from doing view tests as code. Uh, instead, we use this little library called FB Snapshot Test Case. And it's essentially, it allows you to construct a view and take a picture of it. And so it takes that picture, it stores it in the file system in your Git repo. And then basically later when you run that test, it'll take another picture of the same view and compare the diff of the existing image that it has. And if the diff isn't the same, the test fails. So it allows you to kind of construct a view, not worry about like, hey, is this thing brown and does it have the right font and is the font the right size and does it have a left margin of this and blah, 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 blah. It allows you to just say like, does it look like this picture? Uh, and if it does, the test passes. How brittle is that? It's actually, I, you know, that was my thought the first time too. I was thinking like, this thing's going to fail. I'm going to get it into CI and it's going to bomb a bunch of times. So I'm going to spend a bunch of time on it. But I've actually been pleasantly surprised. We set a tolerance of 5%. So it's allowed to be 5% off. And that seems to be a, a happy medium to get some non-breaking changes, but also not senseless failure. Switching direction a little bit. Like, I know you have only, you have what, four, three or four developers working on mobile projects? Do you guys overlap on projects? Do you pair program? Like when, when one of you finds a cool tool like that image testing, like how do you get that across all of your projects? We usually bring it up in Slack. I'm sure most companies will know that Slack is incredibly useful for that kind of stuff. But we also talk about it in our standup. Uh, so, you know, every couple of weeks we'll meet for a couple hours, talk about things we want to potentially use. Sometimes we'll do a spike on them. But a lot of it, you know, since the team is small, there's always at least half of us working on the same project. Um, so if there's something we want to try, we just give a shout. We're small and, you know, that affords us the ability to do that. 
Do you guys pair program a lot? Yeah, we do a lot. A lot of it comes to, you know, if we're exploring something new, we do it together. If we're having problems, we'll help each other out in that uh, regard. But yeah, we do pair program a lot. And a lot of times we pair program with our clients as well. So right now we're working with uh, one of our clients who has an internal developer. And so, you know, as you can imagine, we do things differently than their developer does. And so we have to spend some time with them to wrap them up. And so we do a lot of paired programming with the clients, developers as well. I guess that brings me to another, like uh, another set of questions. Like you get the app through the app store and it goes live and then you still need to maintain it. So what kinds of information can you get about a live application? You know, first of all, and then how do we deal with that as a matter of like project management? How do we deal with the maintenance and ongoing incremental kind of work? We currently use Fabric, which is a nice little suite of tools by Twitter. They give you beta deployment. They give you Crashlytics, which is crash reporting. They give you Answers, which is an analytics tool. Uh, and we kind of pay attention to that stuff alongside just the standard analytics that come out of iTunes Connect. Do you need to build those analytics into the system then, the way like Google Analytics might work? Kind of. Uh, it depends on if you want something custom. So like, if, if you just include the, the standard Answers library and give it your... API key and you turn it on, you're going to get a surprising amount of metrics just from that. You'll get, you know, how, the session length, how many users, how many new users. Uh, they give you retention data. They give you crash-free users. They give you the crash reports from that. They give you all sorts of stuff, monthly active users. But if you want to say like, hey, somebody signed up or somebody that was offline six months ago logged in for the first time or somebody was viewing this screen or something like that or some type of action, somebody liked this page... Those are all custom events that you'd have to put in, but those are surprisingly simple as well to put in. And then, like, how do you turn that into ongoing maintenance work to balance with existing projects? Like, is that a problem? Is getting stuff through the app store when you have fixes, is that a barrier? Not necessarily. We try to deploy every week. You know, that that only needs to happen for so long, and then we'll, we'll try to transition to, like, an every two-week type of thing. Um, but usually, you know, if you get crash reports in and they're you're looking at, below 80% stability, you want to hop on those immediately. And so far, we've been able to do that just through iteration after the initial product launch. You essentially go live with an MVP, and then there's some iterations you want to do after that, and you kind of address the stability issues if there are any alongside the features that you want to add. Um, what's a project that we're doing that you were really excited with how it turned out or some new technology that you were relatively recently able to use and bring to bear that you were really happy with how it turned out? Well, the most recent one that we just pushed live was everything but the house, and that is probably one of the best pieces of work that TableXI has done. Can you describe what it is, what it does? Everything but the house is an estate sale platform. So if you have a family member die, you would call them. They would come to the house. They catalog, package, and take everything to their warehouse, and then they take pictures of it, list it online, and then put it up for auction. So basically, you say, I want to get rid of all the stuff in this house. They come, take it all, and then you just receive a check later. So it's a very hassle-free way to empty out a house before you sell it. When you say that that's some of the best work that TableX has done, like what kinds of things were you able to bring to bear on it that made it so? We had an incredible amount of test coverage. We worked really well with their internal developer. Their internal designer was phenomenal, and the app looks really great. Aside from that, we got to do some really deep snapshot test case stuff in that app. 
And so we really got to put it through the ringer in terms of like, is this going to work long term? And it, it's succeeded with flying colors, in my opinion. Um, we've also got a really, really high code coverage number. We got the developer to buy into that. So we got really thorough testing. Uh, we got to use PubNub on it, which was cool as well. So what's PubNub? PubNub is a messaging service uh, that uses, I think it uses WebSockets, does like real-time messaging. So basically, like if you bid on something and someone outbids you and you're on another screen, you can get that notification doesn't have to get routed through APNS or anything else. Cool. Sounds neat. Is there another tool that you're using now that we haven't talked about that you would recommend to uh, mobile developers uh, who are looking to really up their game? One thing that I recently used on, on a personal project that I really, really like is ReSwift. It's essentially a Swift Redux implementation. What do you mean by Redux? So Redux in the React world. Okay. So Redux is the is the event library, correct? Yes. Uh, so it's a Swift implementation of that. So you have, you know, your actions and reducers and app state. And it's a really, really good way to keep everything in order and be able to track when something breaks and where it broke. And I've even seen implementations that use recorders to where if the app crashes, you can take the recording of the app state and play it back and watch what the user was doing at the time in the simulator. <laughs> that sounds helpful. Yeah, it's awesome. Neat. So thanks, Ed, for talking to us today. XI to I is brought to you by TableXI. We are 35 meticulous and curious minds in Chicago with a 15-year history of building websites, mobile applications, and custom digital experiences for everyone from startups to storied brands. Our partners trust us to create innovative solutions that drive their businesses forward. Let's work together. Find us at TableXI.com where you can learn more about working with us or working for us. I'm Noel Rappin. I've been talking to Ed LaFoy about our TableXI's mobile development, and we'll see you next time on XI to I. Bye.